Hello, and welcome to the Albuquerque Three Angels SDA Church Sabbath School Podcast, presented from the Three Angels Studio right here in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And this week's lesson is called I Will Arise, and it is from February 3rd through February 9th. And this quarter, we're going over Psalms, and it seems like every Psalm lesson that we've gone over, it kind of opens us up a little bit more to what is in the Psalms, and it kind of enlightens your perspective of some of the reasons why some of these Psalms were written. And this week is definitely one of those weeks that gives you a different view of of the Psalms themselves. And right. I'm looking really forward to getting into this lesson. Me too. I I had some uh, some definite different insight while I was going through the lesson this week, so it should be really fun. And just for everybody listening, this week's lesson, I think, really really calls out where we're at today in this world. And I think this is a, a very important lesson for us to really pay close attention to. Um, we're not going to get into every detail, but right. there is so much information here that, you know, when you get into it, you're going to kind of be like, oh, no. And then by the end of it, you're like, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but with that, uh, before we get into this, uh, I'll go ahead and I'll open with a short prayer. Sure. All right, Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to come to your home today to look more closely at the Psalms, and especially this week's lesson, Lord. And we ask that your Holy Spirit be here with us and our listeners and open their hearts and minds to the Word and that they are open to the message that you are trying to tell them, that they pay attention to you and call closer to you, Lord. We thank you for all this, and we ask for forgiveness of our sins. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So the memory text for this uh, week's lesson is found in Psalms 12, verse 5. And it says, For the oppression of the poor, for the sighting of the needy, now I will arise, says the Lord. I will set him in the safety for which he yearns. So, as continuing with our tradition of reading the very first lesson for the Sabbath, it says, Our age is not the only age in which evil, injustice, and oppression rage. The psalmist lived in such a time as well, and so whatever else they are, the psalms are also God's protests against the violence and oppression in the world, in our world, and that of the psalmist as well. Yes, the Lord is long-suffering and holds his wrath in his great forbearance, not wanting anyone to perish but to repent and change their ways. And though God's proper time for his intervention does not always coincide with human expectations— the day of God's judgment is coming. We just need to trust in him and in his promise until the day comes. Only the creator whose throne is founded on righteousness and justice can provide with his sovereign judgment, stability, and prosperity to the world. The twofold aspect of divine judgment includes deliverance of the oppressed and destruction of the wicked. This is what we have been promised, and this is what will indeed one day come. But in God's time, not ours a point that the psalmist emphasize. Yeah, that, that's <laughs> that's really straightforward. It's like, it's always one of those things where everybody's, you know, wanting the big surprise as soon as possible, not realizing that they don't determine when that surprise comes. So I had a, you know, I mean, just my, my part of my insight came from that, that second paragraph, you know, that where it says, the Lord is long-suffering and holds his wrath in his great forbearance, not wanting any to perish, but to repent and change their ways. And part of this lesson is about, 
God fighting for his people. Yeah. And, you know, in Exodus 14, 14, at when the Egyptians are chasing uh, the Israelites right at the Red Sea before he parted the sea for them to cross, he said, you know, uh, the Lord shall fight for you and ye shall hold your peace. Yeah. And what struck me, especially, you know, with that sentence is, I mean, you've heard my, my testimony from my past uh, a few times, and vengeance was part of how I defined who I was, how I defined myself. And I always tried to, to justify that part of my personality with, you know, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, you know, oh, it's biblical. Yeah. You know, but when God says vengeance is mine, part of the reason God is the perfect person to to do that is if I'm seeking vengeance, what do I want? I want to take it out on the person who wronged me. Yeah. That's not how God goes about it. God still loves the sinner and hates the sin. So he is still out to atone with the person that has wronged him or his children because God will fight for his children. He is still trying to save that individual. His vengeance is against the sin always against the sin. If the person is willing to separate themselves from the sin, they have no consequence of that vengeance. The vengeance was always going to go towards the root of the evil. But if you are unrepentant and not willing to accept Christ's sacrifice and in turn his righteousness on your behalf, you now hold the penalty for your own sin, mm-hmm. you know, and that's when the vengeance is against you personally. God is always trying to save everybody, you know. So, yeah, uh, I was just like, wow, you know, I always went about it this, you know, completely the wrong way, <laughs> um, you know, trying to justify myself. Oh, I was wronged, and you know. Uh, you know, there's all these Levitical laws about what happens if somebody, you know, wrongs a person in your household or one of your servants or one of your or some of your livestock or your property. You know, there's all, but you know, God. He's like, it's it's kind of like when Jesus was confronted about divorce. You know, well, Moses said it's okay to you know for divorce, and Jesus said. It's because of the hardness of your heart is why this law was written. And I, I had to take that to this also, that these laws are because of the hardness of our hearts, because God always says, while we were yet enemies, I died for you. You know, that just puts that whole vengeance is mine in a completely different, you know, when when I will stand and fight for you, you know, I don't want you to do it because you're going to go about this the wrong way with the wrong mindset. Yeah. <laughs> and well, not to cut you off, no, anything, go ahead, but go ahead. no, it, it, it calls to mind the Sermon on the Mount. 
you know, right. where Jesus was talking about that kind of specific thing is you know, if your brother hits you on one cheek, right. offer him the other. Right. If someone steals your robe, give him everything give else. Give him your jacket too. <laughs> he he calls that out saying, look, vengeance and retribution is not that in the hands of man. That is in his father's hands to make that final judgment. Right. And but that's when all other recourses have been yeah, I mean, fully uh, um, extended. You know, every other avenue has been, you know, if you are willing to separate yourself from this, you know, you, you're not going to, you're not going to suffer the, the plagues, yeah. you know, that are going to be poured out. But if you, uh, if you choose to be stuck attached, you know, say, use the, the uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in, da- in Daniel chapter 3, you know, when they refused to bow down. You know, people's, you know, there's the, well, why didn't they burn? Well, because all the fuel was gone. They were righteous. They were, you know, <laughs> and yeah. the sin is fuel. If you're going to be, uh, stay attached to to that fuel, when the fire comes, you're going to catch. Yeah, that's actually a good example of kind of what this week's lesson is about that. You know, we, we look at that situation, right? You know, they, he threw them into the furnace. He was enacting judgment and retribution and execution upon God's people. Right. Who were, like you said, were righteous, who were doing what they were supposed to do, who were following their creator. I think that really shows the temperament of God. And he sat there and he protected them to show you don't have that ability to judge my people. But it even goes further than that because... Did God kill Nebuchadnezzar for attacking his... No. God saved Nebuchadnezzar. The Spirit of Prophecy tells us that Nebuchadnezzar will be in heaven. You know? So, God say <laughs> that That's exactly <laughs> what I was just talking about. I want to save this guy. And it, it's funny that you bring that Nebuchadnezzar's story up about, you know, that we will see him in heaven, too. That gets called out later on in this lesson, too. You know, not Nebuchadnezzar specifically, but those that are repentant, that right. change of their heart. Well, we talk about um, when Stephen sees Paul in heaven, you know, his first thought isn't going to be, well, what's this guy doing here? Yep. You know, <laughs> because he prayed the same prayer that Jesus did. Don't hold this against them. They're not, they don't know what they're doing. So he is going to praise Jesus when he sees Paul, the person that commanded him to be stoned to death. Yeah. You know, for to when he sees him you know not just him, but you know we're told that you know the we each have stars in our crown for the work that we've done and Paul's not going to be able to hold his you know, <laughs> because he wrote most of the New Testament and he preached all over the <laughs> the known world at that time. Yeah. You know, uh, so, you know, and then it, you talk, you think about Joshua when, you know, before Jericho fell, you know, he was walking around that night before they were supposed to attack Jericho and he comes across a person in armor and it says, 
he said, are you with us or against us? And he said, I am neither with you nor against you. I stand as commander of the hosts of heaven. And Joshua took his shoes off. Because And the only, you know, when you take your shoes off, it's because you're standing on holy ground. The only thing that makes something holy is God's presence. He knew that that was Jesus Christ standing in front of him. So, and yeah. he's like, I will go before you, you know. Speaking of somebody <laughs> who's a warrior, you know, one of the first lessons in here is a Sunday lesson, and it's right. the the majestic warrior. And as I was reading through this, the only thing that kept popping my mind was, you know, the the prophecy of Christ's coming. You know, the expectation that the person that was supposed to arrive was supposed to be this great military tactician, this leader that was going to to take on the Romans and free all the Hebrew and, you know, it was going to change the way the world was and all that. And then I started reading this and then I looked at uh, Isaiah 42 mm-hmm. and Isaiah 42 pretty much tells us what, what to expect and comparing them and then seeing here in Psalms, how they call out, you know, the power of God, you know, the things that he's been able to do, like, uh, the Lord thundered from heaven, and the Most High uttered his voice, hailstones and coals of fire. He sent out arrows and scattered the foe, lightning in abundance, and he vanquished them. Then the channels of the sea were seen, the foundations of the world were uncovered at your rebuke, O Lord, at the blast of the breath of your nostrils. That's a lot of imagery. Right? Exactly what you know the power of God has. You know, I, I love that in this lesson it talks about all the many battles, the the wars, the conflicts that occurred at the time, especially when you look at King David and the things that he went through. And what was kind of humbling was reading the part where, you know, it's talking about King David and it's saying that, you know, he not once took glory for the victories of his armies. He said this was God's doing. Right. You know, God went and did this. It was God's sword that cut down the enemy. It was God's arrows that struck the enemy and brought them down. It was not me. I was just a vessel or a tool that God utilized to get this done. Well, look at, I mean, you've got Gideon, whose army was whittled down to 300 against the Midianites, and um, and they were victorious. You, you look at uh, the story of Elisha, when the Syrians were coming, uh, threatening, you know, Judah just because of him. And he asked, and he prayed for God to open the eyes of his servant. And, the, you know, that's where it says, you know, those that are with us are more than those that are arrayed against us. Yeah. And he was able to see the hosts of heaven surrounding uh, the not just them, but surrounding the enemy army, and all through, especially the Old Testament. I mean, you come across times where it says that you know, not just figuratively, but literally, the hosts of heaven went to war for the children of Israel. And if God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, what? Why would we believe that He would not go? to war against us or go war for us today um, in the in the time of trouble you know when the uh, the verdict goes out to kill God's people once again going to the spirit of prophecy Ellen White wrote that angels 
um, arrayed as men of war, will will stand in defense of his people. So I, God is the same. He's he he doesn't change. Yeah, it's it's interesting too because you know I know a lot of people are like well God didn't do any of this and, you know all that. There's going to be people out there going to doubt this, but when you actually look at history, they're finding so much information about some of these major battles, these big conflicts that occurred in scripture. And they're seeing the evidence that was there that, you know, in many situations, King David's army should not have survived. They shouldn't have made it through this, you know, as unscathed as they could. But there's so much evidence showing that's like, yeah, this actually happened. King David's army survived this great, huge battle. And, you know, there's really no explanation for it, but we have an explanation. We have the reason why he won. It was because of God, you know, so it's interesting to be able to take like a lot of this information and then compare it against history and just see how much lines up with each other that, you know, that there should just give you like the greatest sense of, you know, relief in the world that, you know, even the world who's trying to diminish and, you know, snuff out the light of God, they can't argue the actions of God. Right. It's so powerful when you look at that and you compare it and you're like, wow, you know, if, if even historians can't give a plausible explanation for certain events and how they occurred or why they went a certain way, despite everything else saying it should have gone the other way. And then you look at scripture and scripture says, because God's hand was played in that moment that he swayed that battle in victory for his people. I think that sums up pretty much what we need to know when it comes to God's abilities. And there was times where the, uh, the children of Israel were not living according to God's precepts and they thought they had the upper hand, but because God was not with them, they suffered a horrible defeat. Oh yeah. <laughs> and there's a few of those that happened too. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, but it's, it's such, such a big thing to sit there and, you know, it's, I love the last paragraph in this. It says in the Psalms, King David, who was known as a successful warrior, assumes his role as a skilled musician and praises the Lord as the only deliverer and sustainer of his people. And when you look at that, it's not King David's people, right? That's God's God's people. people. (laughs) Praise and prayer to the Lord are David's sources of strength. Praise and prayer. That's, you know, to see that that's where his strength came from because he had a, like he was talking with God. He was praying. He was asking for God's deliverance. That gave him strength. You know, it may not, God may not have necessarily gave him strength directly, but because his faith in God was there, his strength internally, his spiritual strength was great. And I think that played a big part of a lot of what he was doing that, you know, it's one of those things when you know what you're doing, you know how it's going to play. You have that confidence in you. And I think when you have that confidence in God to deliver you through something to bring you out of something. I think you are truly stronger than what a normal person would be. I think you have something that, you know, is outer body that is just so much more powerful. And it's, uh, it's crazy. (laughs) Right. Well, I mean, you can look at not just necessarily warriors, but I mean, other 
known figures through history, whether, you know, um, that the thing that made them known in history is because of an unquenchable spirit. Yeah. You know, they may have had uh, not the greatest physical attributes. They may have not have had, um, you know, been the strongest, the fastest, you know, whatever. But what made them memorable in history is indomitability of their spirit. You know, you cannot, that you know, when you have that mentality that no, no force can stop you, yeah, you know, and no force can stop you, you're going to. I think a, a pretty good example and one that I'm pretty sure a lot of our listeners are are familiar with is Joan of Arc. Yeah. She was not a big person. She was a woman who was fighting. She was only 15 or 16 years old when it started. Yeah, and she, I mean, she was not a imposing figure. Right. But her faith was so strong. Her can like her her faith in God was so strong that it made up for everything, you know, that she was lacking in, you know, size, actual physical strength and all that because her faith was so strong that she was able to do certain things that, you know, at 15, I probably would never been able to do. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, look at, like I said, aside from warriors, I mean, look at people like Booker T. Washington, you know, when he went for his education, he, they tried to turn him away. Yeah. And it was because they turned him away, but he wouldn't leave, you know, uh, that, he got an education and made a mark in history that, you know, people remember him. And it was that uh, strength of character that pushed him when everything seemed to be arrayed against him. You look at, um, well, I look at the founding of, you know, the Revolutionary War. Who would have ever thought that, you know, some farmers in the colonial states would have been able to hold off what was at the time the greatest military force on the planet. You know, Britain, Britain, France, and and Spain were the the big world powers. Yeah. And uh, we were going to war with with Great Britain to gain our independence. And no, everybody was, well, Great Britain has become an empire because they've crushed rebellions like this before. Oh, yeah, they're, they were <laughs> undefeated, basically, until yeah. we came across the block, and are like, yeah, we're going to change this. <laughs> right, and uh, just, you know, different marks throughout history where somebody stood out, and it was all because of that characteristic. I think a lot of it, too, is because when you, when you have God in your life and you have that connection, you have that relationship, you have that faith and that trust, I, I think you're right. I think that a lot of what comes from that is determination, grit, right. uh, um, perseverance. Like you, nothing really holds you back because you won't allow it. God won't allow it. You know, your faith won't allow you to back down, to, to kneel before something that, you know, can easily be tamed by God. And I think a lot of these situations, you know, you look out through history, those who've had like really strong spiritual faith in God that they achieve victories and milestones and things that, you know, 
normally they should not have ever been able to do. But I think the spiritual nature of their lives, the, the relationship they established with God and that connection, I think gives them that extra bonus, that extra power, that extra ability that, you know, really we need to be praising God to have and, you know, really pray to ask for that kind of connection, that kind of trust, that kind of faith. You know, um, kind of moving, transitioning into Mondays, um, the the justice for the oppressed. Um, you know, I, I think I shared before that one of the lessons that my brother taught me when we were very young is life's not fair. Mm-hmm. When bad things happen to you, you can either become a victim or you can allow that experience to make you stronger because you're going to face it again. And... Um, and really, it w- it took me until I was about seven years old for that mindset to really kick in. And, um, but you look around and how many people in the world, when when something bad happens, they just close up and they become victimized instead of you know sticking their chest out and continuing to move forward and. Um, and I'm, I think I said that this last week that God ha- is just. Mm-hmm. He has a great, um, what's the word I'm looking for, but uh, um, dislike for any injustice. He does not tolerate injustice in any form. And I think that he has endued us with that characteristic. We have... We have an intolerance for injustice when we see it. Mm -hmm. And you look throughout the Psalms, how many of the Psalms is David crying out for justice, you know, and he's not looking for vengeance. No, you know, and that that's kind of going back to what we talked about on Sabbath afternoon's lesson is David was looking for true justice. God, you come down and take care of this because you will do it justly. And, you know, um, and as it said in in Sab- that first paragraph in Sabbath afternoon's lesson, that we read and we can relate to these situations because the world hasn't changed. Yeah. You know, it may be more modern, but the situations and everything that we're going through is the same. And I think one thing in this lesson that you know. I never really thought about the way it was worded until I read this lesson. And it's that term, the poor and needy. Right. You know, to somebody who's listening to it or reading it, without understanding the context of it, they would assume the poor are people who are financially destitute. destitute, And the needy being those that are hungry, those that are poor, homeless, and that kind of thing. But reading through this and that, Last line in that second paragraph says, this is done in order to highlight God's universal care for all humanity. I think that really changed my look and my perspective on that term, poor and needy. Because we look out throughout the New Testament, and how many times did Jesus say, you know, you're spiritually poor? Well, you mentioned the Sermon on the Mount earlier. You know, blessed are the poor in spirit. You know, so he, he does make that that connection it's just it's it really does change your perspective on what they were asking for in these psalms what they were praying about right 
you know, when you when you say somebody's spiritually poor, it means their their relationship with God isn't as high as it should be. It, it isn't where it should be at. So you're praying for you know some kind of spiritual relief for them to to be able to make that connection to to build upon where they're poor at, where they're weak at, and to strengthen it. Right. And then the needy part, we're all needy. Amen. Every <laughs> single one of us is needy, whether it be needy for comfort, a need for a helping hand, a need for a, a gentle ear, a need for just presence. You know, we're all needy in some way. And it's not necessarily needing, like, I need a new car or I need a new house or something. It's, I need that connection, that that comfort that only God can truly provide. Right. And I, it really did change my view on a lot of what I read when it comes to those two words in scripture. It's like, you look at it now and it's like, ah, okay. He's, this is what he's really saying. It's not, he's not only kind of calling out to what's actually occurring in the world around them, but his own spiritual condition. Yeah. And it's I, I connected with that a lot more than I really thought I would have. Right. And it's just, it's definitely powerful when you look at it in that other light. Absolutely. It's just, like I said, this, this week's lesson, like, the way it goes, it's kind of like a wave. Like, you have different layers to this, like, this lesson, unlike some of the other lessons where it's, they have a subject and they talk throughout the subject throughout the entire lesson. But this one here, you're seeing so many different aspects of certain things in Psalms that just really, you read it and then you read the stuff in the New Testament, what, what was written in Matthew, what was written in John. And it changes a lot of the understanding that I had. And it, yeah. When that happens, you know something's going on and something's starting to click. Right. Well, the, uh, that passage on, uh, on Tuesday's lesson in Psalm 72 really goes right along with you know, what you're saying, and it's that great transition from Monday into Tuesday's lesson. And I'll read the, the first half of that, the, the verses 1 through 7. It says, Give the king thy judgments, O God, and thy righteousness unto the king's son. He shall judge thy people with righteousness, and thy poor with judgment. The mountains shall bring peace to the people, and the little hills by righteousness. He shall judge the poor of the people. He shall save the children of the needy, and shall break in pieces the oppressor. They shall fear thee as long as the sun and moon endure throughout all generations. He shall come down like rain upon the mown grass, as showers that water the earth. In his days shall the righteous flourish, and abundance of peace so long as the moon endureth. And I think that passage really goes right along with what you were you were just saying. Well, that's funny, <laughs> because I'm sitting here, I'm looking at Isaiah 42, verses 1 through 4. Now listen to this. Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delighteth. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the Gentiles. He will not cry, nor lift up his voice, nor cause it to be heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break. 
and dimly burning wick will he not quench. He will bring forth justice in truth. He will not fail nor be discouraged till he have set justice in the earth and the isle shall wait for his law. Right? <laughs> it's, <laughs> it, it, it's like you, you look at this here and then you compare it to, to Jesus and his mission on earth was to do that. And it, you start connecting all the dots, basically. Right. You look, you're looking at Psalms here. Here's Isaiah. You look at you know the words that Jesus spoke, and it's it flows well perfectly. What, what was the main part of Jesus's mission? I mean, yes, it was to live the perfect life that we should have, so we can partake of the perfect life that He lived uh, for the redemption. But His ministry. I mean, if it was just to live and die, why didn't Herod kill him when he was two years old? Yeah. You know, the his ministry was because throughout history, what Satan has tried to do from the rebellion in heaven all the way through the this great controversy till today is he's trying to mar our percep- perception of the character of God. So we cannot see God for who he truly is. He wants us to have this convoluted perception of who God is as tyrannical as, you know, all these things. And Jesus came to show the character of God. This is who God truly is. And so God can reveal himself and we can make an educated decision. It's all Mm -hmm. about our choice. And, you know, so we see that's why we see all these attributes because this prayer right here in Psalm 72 is David passing the reins over to Solomon and he's praying for God to bless his son and to uh, for him to be righteous and truly just you know and but we also see those, just as you mentioned, that um, uh, that prophecy in Isaiah forty-two is a direct is a prophecy of the Messiah. The these David, because he had that relationship with God, where he was praying and and talking to God and t- getting his strength. He wanted his son to have even more of a relationship than he did. But we're seeing these same attributes. David knew what godly attributes were. I want those imbued on my son. Yeah. And that's why we see it in Christ, because Christ is the embodiment of the character of God. It's it's like I'm reading through some of these Psalms here and I'm looking and trying to remember like all the things I've learned. <laughs> and it's like, wow. The the call outs and the connections that are established way before like some of the other uh books were written like you know you look at the psalms themselves and you compare it to things that happened in the new testament you look at things that go on in isaiah what elijah said you know it's just it calls out that you know yes god will judge the the world but in the same aspect he's doing it in a just way right you know and you look at what christ said you know Christ did not come to condemn the world, but to deliver it and to save it. Right. Everybody knows John three sixteen. 
But John 3.17 says, For God sent his son not to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Yep. You know, and that's kind of goes back to what I was talking about in uh, Sabbath afternoons, you know, about that different idea of vengeance. And I've known John 3.17 since I was probably 9 or 10 years old. And it wasn't until this morning that that this clicked in my head. (laughs) And I've even preached a sermon on love your enemies, the difference of, you know, that I just what I was talking about, about that idea of trying to justify my, uh, my, my vengeful acts by scripture, you know, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. When God shows us something different. He's like, yeah, by law, this is okay, but this is really how it should be done. Yeah. And this lesson here, you know, uh, the way it's talking about, you know, it talks about, you know, these gods, you know, that are above the people, you know. We're we're not looking at, as it says here, not like gods like Zeus or anything like that. Authority figures. Authority figures. These are... They're people who are taking their their position to a level that they shouldn't be taking it to. And this was one of the bigger problems during... That doesn't happen today. Oh, no, no. <laughs> no. <clears throat> Politics. Right? <clears throat> but, you know, we, we look at this, and there's these gods that are... I, my understanding looking at this, these gods that, it's, that are being talked to are about that, you know that God is making judgments upon is, you know, this, this God of power, this God of wealth, this God of influence, uh, the gods of, um, authority, you know, it, these aren't actual gods, but these are idolic people that are images. lifting themselves up higher than they should. Yeah. And that was one of the biggest things. And I think, you know, honestly looking at this, and then you look at what happened in, in scripture with Christ, if these people were humble and were truly faithful to God and did not put themselves above the people in these ways because of the positions that they were in, I think they would have recognized Christ as the Messiah versus seeing him as a false prophet, condemning him and being angry because it challenged their own personal beliefs. Wow, what you just said sounds like, what does the Lord require of thee but to do justly to love mercy and to walk humbly with thy God. (laughs) (laughs) See, this lesson this week is very interesting. And it's, (laughs) this is why I said there was a lot to it. That was just amazing as you're going through it, because it just, it makes you call back to other scripture. It makes you call back to, to the other stories, to the other things that were going on in not just the old Testament, but things that were happening in the new Testament and things are yet to come, you know, I, Psalms is such a powerful book in scripture that there's so much in there that you can't not connect it to something. You can't see it just as just written songs, but there's so much more there. So, you know, at the beginning we talked about, you know, the authors uh, of the Psalms. This isn't just something that happened within the reign of David, you know. Psalms were being written from 
the time of Moses and maybe even before because somebody, you know, because a lot of the culture then was verbal yeah, instead of written down that some of the, the Psalms that one person is attributed to writing down, they might've heard through the generations, yeah, you know, so we don't know exactly when, some of these may have actually begun, but we know at least from the time of Moses through the time the reign of Solomon, and that's a, a long period of time. Oh yeah, for all these to be, and these are all experiences that people are going through, and um, whether it's a question, whether it's a, a praise, whether it is a, whatever it is, their heart is crying out to God. Because you can cry out and praise just like it, just because I use the word cry out doesn't mean always that it's from uh, a pl- position of destitution. Yeah, you know, you can cry out in praise, you can cry out in elation, you can cry. Um, but all these are the Holy Spirit prompting these people to write down the experience they're having for the benefit of people to follow. Yeah, I mean. Ah, yeah. So we're looking at pour out your indignation now, uh, the Wednesday's lesson. And, you know, this goes right back to what we were talking about when it came to King David, you know, right? asking, and, and this is what the psalmist would do. They would, as it says here, beseech God to take venden- vengeance on individuals and nations who intended harm or have already harmed the psalmist or their people. Now, I like that he calls out here specifically that the psalmist do not suggest that they are the agent of vengeance. Instead, they leave that retribution solely in God's hands. And how is that portrayed in David's life? How many times when Saul was hunting him, was he in the same cave or he was able yep. to sneak right up? He stole, He took a piece of his garment once. He took his drinking jug once. He took, And he's like, I was there, but you are... And I, David was anointed to become the next king, but even though you've tried to kill me, I don't know how many times, <laughs> I was right beside you, and God put your life in my hand, but you are the anointed of God. I will not raise a weapon against you. And uh, so not only did he believe it, but he lived it. Yeah. You know, that... You have tried to kill me. And by law, David would have been justified in taking Saul's life. But he knew that that was not God's purpose. So, I mean, it's when you see, you know, the letter of the law, but then the bigger picture. Yeah. You know, and, and Psalms does this beautifully. And like I said, not only did... David believed it, but he lived it. He, he, I mean, David was not perfect. He had, you know, his faults. Why was David a, a man after God's own heart? Because his uh, repentance was genuine. Yeah, and it's just, there's a lot in here, you know, especially, you know, the, the trust factor that these individuals, these psalmists had to have had 
you know, especially in these times where they're probably being persecuted, they're being hunted or imprisoned or confined or killed. You know, they're sitting here saying, God, we're, we're not going to enact vengeance ourselves. We're not going to go out there and kill our enemy because we want to go do it because they're hurting us. We're leaving that judgment in your hands to do what you believe is the right thing to do. If it's to deliver us, deliver us. If it's not, that's that's you making that choice, not us. And it, I think it's just, when you look at how things are today, everybody is so vengeful. You see retribution happening everywhere. Oh, they, they kicked my tire on my car, so I'm going to smash their window on their house. It's really now just been so overblown that anybody who says, you know, somebody who just gets hit in the face and they just stand there and do nothing, and they're like, you know what? I forgive you. Is completely unheard of. It's like the an abnormal thing to see or hear. And people call into question, you know, the type of person you are by not enacting retribution, by not enacting vengeance, and by not going after the person who harmed you. And when you say, well, it's not my place to do that, you know, it's not my place to judge them for their actions. That's something between them and God. Right. You know, it's it's such a weird thing people see, and they can't understand why somebody would do that. That is meekness. What you are just describing is meekness. And that is why I always say, you know, people, when I was younger, meekness is weakness. And I, I come to the conclusion, oh, yeah, try it. It is an immense amount of strength. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, especially for someone like me where I've had issues with anger, with violence, and you too <laughs> as, as well. You know, we share lots in common in that area. But to to hold back, to, you know, go, okay, it hurts. It's not a good feeling. But I'm not going to do anything back. Well, not only that, am I going to perpetuate the circle? Because the old adage, violence begets violence. Mm-hmm. You know, eventually that circle has to stop. And God's think, well, it could stop with you. Because, I mean, I identified myself as angry and violent. You know, people used to say, oh, you have anger issues. No, I have no issues with my anger. I have anger management issues. Yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> but, uh, but this goes back into Thursday's lesson. And this, I think, sums up the entire week really well. Right. You know, we're all well, very... Fam- the sanctuary, and I already talked, you know, I, I kind of pointed towards this on Sabbath afternoon, atonement. Mm-hmm. And that's what the... The sanctuary is all about is atonement. It's just, but I think here too, also it really solidifies God's position as the only judge in the universe. And his judgments are just that they are just, you know, he, he is, he doesn't do anything because of, you know, trying to think of the best word or way of saying this so that it makes sense because it's well he judges justly and he doesn't judge on favoritism right well look at on the day of atonement 
I've pointed this out before that, you know, all year long on these daily sacrifices, the confessed sins were sprinkled on the, on the curtain on the day of atonement. All those repented sins, the ones that have been truly taken, they were taken and placed symbolically on the head of the scapegoat that was led out of the, that is where the, the punishment goes onto the scapegoat. The, so that is God's judgment. I'm the one that committed this sin. In God's mercy and his way of justice, when I have confessed and repented, turned away from these sins, he no longer holds me responsible. He places it at the source. Yeah. That's amazing. And that is something I can't do. That's why vengeance is not mine. <laughs> Which goes back into everything else we've talked about this week that, you know, you uh, yourself, man cannot change the wind, basically. Right. You know, God can. God can make the wind blow left to right and back and forth as much as he wants. We can't do that. There is a place that we stand that is not on the same level as where God stands. That second to last, that first sentence on that second to last uh, paragraph says, yet the God who forgives takes vengeance upon the wicked deeds of unrepentant people. That's exactly what <laughs> I've been saying. No. Uh, the, the practical implications of the sanctuary being play, uh, the place of divine judgment are seen in the constant awareness of God's holiness and demands for righteous living according to God's conventional requirements. Yeah. Uh, it, why is all this, why is it proper and prudent for God to be the, the vengeful one and God to be the, the judge and because he can do it in righteousness and holiness. Yeah. And he's going against the source of the problem, not against me. And that, to, to me, it's just, that's beautiful that God is willing to say, you know, if, I, if you'll allow me to change you, you you uh, you are uh, responsible for my attributes, and all those things from your past go back to the, the their source as well. Yeah. You know, and I'm judged according to the attributes of Jesus, and the faults go on the scapegoat, and Satan is held responsible for the, being the root of sin. Hmm. Wow! <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> it's. This week's lesson has been, like I said, it, it's a powerful lesson. And, you know, take your time reading it. Read through the Psalms. Pray and ask for the Holy Spirit to, to open your mind and heart on these because there's so much power in this week's lesson that, you know, you can not walk out of reading it and be like, and not be a changed person. Amen. So... But with that, uh, we want to thank you for listening this week, and we look forward to having you here next week as we go through another lesson in the book of Psalms. But with that, uh, Robert, you want to go ahead and close with prayer? Absolutely. 
Heavenly Father, once again, we just want to praise you for your foresight in, to, in inspiring these people to write down these experiences and how their hearts and their spirits cry out to you that we may relate to their situations and as uh, as we've both discussed this morning how our our points of view can be be changed and brought back into alignment with your character and your spirit and how you deal with these things uh, we we both have had a change of our insight over this this last week on the, on this lesson lord we pray that not only us but our listeners as well will allow the Holy Spirit to give them the eye salve that they may see and rightly divine the word of truth, soften hearts that not only can we be changed, but we can show that meekness that we've been speaking of. Uh, it is a process, Lord, for some of us, and we will. Uh, it is a, a something that we must struggle and put mm-hmm. uh, some some definite uh, energy in. But you've promised that we can do all things through Christ who who helps us. So, Lord, we we lean on your strength and not on our own understanding. Uh, once again, as we go through the remaining of this Sabbath day, Lord, we ask a blessing on ourselves and our listeners that, we, that they may rest in the peace of, of your character and who you truly are on this day. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you have any questions or comments about this week's lesson, please go to our podcast page on our website, threeangelssda.org slash podcast. That's the number three, angelssda.org slash podcast, and use the comments section. There you can listen to any of the previous lessons as well as our other programs. Also, don't forget to subscribe, like, and share this podcast on Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast. Just search for ABQ Three Angels Podcast. Mm-hmm.